influence he's been on my life over the years, just at the pastor's conferences, I listen to Mike as much as I can, just, a, a, just an influence in, in, in a man who's walked with God and, and, and tremendous faith. And so would you join me in welcoming Pastor Mike McIntosh. Come share with us. By a show of hands, how many of you were here last night to hear Pancho Juarez? Oh, great, because I wanted to make a couple of comments uh, to <laughs> straighten some things out. <laughs> Just to help you out there. He's always talking about from East L.A., but he's from East L.A. Well, I'm from East Portland. Does that scare you? <laughs> okay. Lord, we're so grateful that we can be alive right now and healthy enough to be out of an intensive care unit, or to be out of the hospital, or to have some debilitating illness that we couldn't make it to a meeting like this. Lord, I'm grateful, as you know, for every one of these men that are here at this conference. And I know that we have hundreds and hundreds of people uh, on Facebook and on Twitter and on websites praying for these exact men right now. And these men, uh, Father, have so much potential that you see inside of them. And for some unknown reason, you have used the scriptures. You've used men to stir men up, that they would do good works of righteousness. And we bow our hearts before you, Lord, and we pray that you'll forgive our nation for where it has fallen. You would bring a revival in our capital, Lord, we pray that you will use us as godly men to stand up and speak out for truth and to defend the little ones that can't defend themselves that are coming up in the next generation and that we would be godly men that wouldn't be lustful men but we would help the women and stand up for them and protect them. Lord, I pray that you'd capture every man's thinking process right now in their minds that they would focus and listen and God that you'd capture their hearts above all and as Ray had just prayed and Poncho had just prayed would you baptize them with the power of the Holy Spirit Lord let a revival break out here to reach the other coast of America let these men be used as George Whitfield was and John Wesley and the early Christian movement in the colonies. May you use these men. May you get them out of debt, teach them the lessons that they had to learn, pry their fingers loose of the things they hold onto in this world, and look up and see you face to face and humble themselves. Bless these men. Encourage these men. Use these men. Help these men. Let all that are in their lives see you in them. Take these young men and these teenage men and open their eyes to something much better than what the world is offering. Something with an eternal value. So strike up the spirit in them, Lord, to be courageous as lions and bold as grizzly bears to stand up for truth throughout all of New Mexico 
In Jesus' name we ask, Lord. Amen. Uh, if you have a Bible, I hope you do. Um, would you turn to New Testament? Second uh, Peter. Chapter 1. Peter, as you know, was one of the gifted men that was able to uh, hang out directly with Jesus of Nazareth, travel with him. He seemed to be a little bit of a type A, strong, outspoken, aggressive, in-your-face uh, fisherman. And bless you, my son. Uh, thought somebody brought a small elephant with him. <laughs> He is a guy that uh, people see his mistakes, and his mistakes are in front of crowds of others. And that's always embarrassing when our mistakes are in front of crowds and people. But here we see him starting off this second letter that he wrote, saying, Simon Peter, a bondservant. Good word to circle right there, bondservant. A slave that had chosen to be a slave is what he's saying. In the Old Testament, Moses laid down the law that after a certain number of years, if a slave was to be set free and he desired to stay with the family. He loved the, the husband and the wife and the children. He loved serving them. He would say so and the owner would take him to the front door of the house, take his earlobe and put it on the, the doorpost and then he'd take an awl and a hammer and drill a hole through his ear to the front door of his house. And then he would pull that out and give him a gold ring and he'd put an earring in his ear. And every time he went to the marketplace or he went to have the camel washed or whatever he did on Saturdays, everybody knew by that ring in his ear that he was a slave, but he had chosen to be a slave. And when you see men in, walking around town with rings in their ears, you wonder who they're a slave of or what they're a slave of. What is that really saying? Why did they puncture their ear? And what is it that's in their heart that they're trying to say to any other men that are around them? But in those days, you knew that this was a man that had chosen to be a slave, giving up all of his rights, giving up his life, his future, his ambition, his desires. He's going to serve this family till the day he dies. And so, as a Christian, Peter says, I am a bond slave to Jesus Christ. I have chosen to give up my family career of fishing. I am a bond slave and an apostle, which means the word sent out, one that is sent out of Jesus Christ. And there is no greater issue in your life than to answer the call of God and to respond to God as he calls you and then to learn of him, as Jesus said, learn of me. And then as you learn of him, he becomes real to you and he begins manifesting himself and showing himself in one, answers to prayers. That's one of the greatest ones that I like, that you pray and God answers your prayers. Two, he starts delivering things that only you know that you had need for and all of a sudden something shows up to encourage you and then your prayer life changes and now you're walking with God and so Peter is an old man now and he's going to tell us I'm getting ready to die I've got gray hair I've got arthritis I've got lumbago I've got you know Winnebago that doesn't work I've got everything that old guys have but I want to tell you and I have the right to tell you what I'm going to tell you men and that's what he's saying basically here. I have a right to tell you. I've experienced it, but I know it as a fact. 
and he's going to show us eight things. So you could take the back of the guy's uh, shirt in front of you and lean forward, just write one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and then start writing them in. He's going to show us eight things that if you add them to your lifestyle, you're going to prosper, you're going to be successful, and you're going to see heaven. So you want to know these eight things. All right? So we'll look at those. And then um, pa Pastor Ray just finished, and he was talking about Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot, and his wife. And uh, I was going to talk about that, so I guess I'll just clear up a couple of things he said, too. <laughs> now, Poncho... Pancho mentioned uh, his mother said that he, in the afternoon he came to repent to his mother. Do you remember that? That she was watering the lawn out in front in East L.A. And, and he uh, was crying and had his head on her chest and she was hugging him. And the neighbor said, what's up? And she said, loco, crazy, Vietnam. Um, and it remind, he was a Marine in Vietnam. And uh, I was sitting in the back there thinking of that. And I remember a Marine that came back from Afghanistan. He was a, a recon, a big, burly, tough, strong, a neck bigger than both of my thighs. This guy was just huge. And uh, he was on a special uh, find him and bind him team. And uh, he comes out and he gets a job. He had a degree. He gets a job as a high school teacher. So he goes back to uh, the inner city and that's where they assigned him in a high school, really bad area. And he knew it was bad, but he thought he'd help those students. And uh, summer's ending, and he got in a motorcycle accident. Now, he's already been decorated several times as a Marine and served in our country, but this is really painful. He had a couple purple hearts. He'd been wounded. But his back was so messed up, he was afraid he wasn't going to be able to teach high school, and he wanted to teach high school. So what they did is they put a complete upper body cast on him out of plaster. You know what I'm talking about? Ron that covered the chest, his pain, and... Issues were from the neck to the lower back, so they said, look, you'll be able to teach. You wear this, we'll take it off in six months. Well, of course, it bulked him up a little bit. And uh, fortunately, his shirts would still fit over this big plaster thing. It didn't look like he had anything under there. So he goes into the classroom the first day knowing that some of the punks and the, the uh, troublemakers and the gangbangers are going to be testing him the very first day and messing with him all year. So they're all sitting in there, and the, crowd, the class is crowded, and they're just talking away. So he walks over to the window, and he opens up two or three windows as, as far as he can, as wide as he can, and there's a wind blowing through. And he sits down, and the wind starts blowing his necktie, and they all start laughing. And he reaches over to his desk, and he takes a stapler, and he puts two or three staples into his chest to stop the flag, the, the tie. Total silence in the room. He had zero disciplinary problems the whole year. So Charlie Hall is going to come out. He's got a big stapler for musicians. He's going to hit me in the chest here. And that's about how we should be with the Lord, just in awe that he'd even speak with us. He'd even talk with us, let alone give us an assignment. He's brought me here from San Diego to give you an assignment. America is right at the line, if not crossed over the line, of no return. I asked a man two weeks ago, very, very wealthy man, understands America very, very well, and I said, would you tell me from your point of view, is America going to make it? 
He shook his head and said, no. I said, tell me why you think it's not going to make it. He said, you've heard of the $16 trillion worth of debt we're in? And that this administration keeps digging us deeper? I said, yes. He said, that's nothing. He has a large industrial company. He said, there's $66 trillion of unfunded retirement funds for the Americans that are going to start retiring. $66 trillion. A number that's just, uh, that's just one reason he had. I sat with a congressperson, and uh, they started talking to me, and I told them about the Lord. They loosened up a little bit and uh, said, why am I fearful? And I said, you're fearful? And they said, yes. Many of us in Congress are fearful because we don't think America is going to make it. Tomorrow I leave for New York. It'll be my fifth trip across the country and back this year. I've got one or two more through New England and um, different areas in that part of the country. I've hit more states this year than all 40 years of ministering. And I've come to this conclusion. Unless the men of this country start acting like men and they become bold as lions and courageous. I'm not talking about fighting and punching. But I'm talking about going down in their faces before God and calling on his name and getting his power to stand up that righteousness avails to every person in their neighborhood because your house is marked as one of those that love God. There's no other way, man. I'm sorry. The kids can't do it. They don't know any different. We just passed a law in the state of California. It'll be coming here. From kindergarten on through school, homosexuality will be taught in every classroom and Christians and others cannot take their child out of the class from kindergarten and they will change and re-edit all history books and put in the homosexual heroes and stars from history and they will have to be taught and they will have to be explained that they're homosexuals. That's in the law right now. There are millions of people in the state that are upset with the governor and there's a big push and signatures have been taken and hopefully this law can get repealed. But why does a, why would my, any one of my six children if they were in kindergarten or first or second grade have to learn about sex from a perverted lifestyle? That's only one ridiculous law. There are so many laws, the hate crime laws, written by people who that are afraid to have anybody challenge them on anything. And that's exactly what the jihadists want, is that there's hate crime laws as they build their mosque and they come from the Middle East and they start indoctrinating. In our city, in San Diego, the eighth largest in America, you can't have prayer meetings and sit in the class, but the Muslims now can put their mats down and go to a room and have their prayer time. Do you know you can't do anything as a Christian in the city of San Diego on city property and put up signs, but when Ramadan comes... There are places in our city where the light posts have banners honoring Allah. We need to wake up, men, and then once we wake up, we need to stand up. And once we stand up, we need to stand out. Stand out of the crowd that they know you are a God-fearing man. So Peter's a bond servant, and that's what you want to be. Lord, I choose to serve. I, I, I'm not running after money. I'm not running after 
my ski boat, my motorhome, and all these toys. I'm not running after anything. I just want your will. And I want my wife to be happy and my children to be safe. And for all of us to spend eternity in heaven. And your heart breaks for your neighbors and your friends. You're not condemning them of any group. But it is sick what the system has allowed into it. And a sick system that isn't cured eventually dies. And if our country does not get the power of the Holy Spirit flowing through the veins, it's going to die. And very shortly. To those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Would you underline in the person's Bible on your right hand side those two words, precious faith? Just reach over and find out if they're a real Christian. Just take your pen and mark in their Bible. But precious faith. It's not some religious idol that just is stone looking at you. This is precious. It's valuable. It's, it's a tender word, precious. It's not a hard-hitting word. But it's a precious faith that we have. And we only have it by righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Circle the words multiplied to you. Not divided, not subtracted, not added, but multiplied. The numbers go faster when you multiply. And God is wanting your Christian experience to multiply. He is wanting his personal relationship with you to multiply. He's wanting your faith to multiply. And he says you get grace and peace with that. And notice in the New Testament, the scholars found in all the scrolls, that grace always came before the word peace. Grace is unmerited favor. But peace is cessation of hostility. It's not just peace, man. We had that for a long time. Didn't get us anywhere. But this peace is eternal. Cessation of hostilities. And in every one of our lives this morning as men, there are areas that are still fighting against the presence of God to take control of that area. It could be bitterness. It could be looking into our childhood that we're always angry at something that happened to us. It could be uh, anything that you're holding on to. Cessation of hostilities. Now, for years, I was a reserve police officer, and I've met many of you here that are police officers, and... Uh, I, I will remember to pray for this area. I've, I've tried to scope out your area, and I know there are a couple of areas within a few miles that unless two or three cars show up, they just don't go. They're so dangerous around here. Uh, there are meth labs. There are all sorts of bad things. However, if there's a cessation of hostility of an area that's ruled in your life since you're a teenager or since you're a little boy, there's no way that you're going to be able to have the power to release it. So God sends his grace and says, I will help you. You don't deserve my help, but I will help you. And the number one law enforcement officer in the universe is Jesus. You know that? Because the Bible declares that he is the prince of peace. So he brings cessation of hostility by endorsing the laws of God. And when Jesus comes into your life by faith, these are the areas that quietly, without anybody knowing about, to embarrass or humiliate you, you can talk to him. You can sit on a mountain. You can sit in your car. You can sit anywhere and say, Lord, this is an area that I'm struggling with. But I'm telling you, the minute you say, take it, cessation of hostility. That's what that means. You have hostility against God. You want to 
fight, you want to struggle, and he says, I will take it. So you now have grace, and when you have unmerited favor, it brings peace. And in the New Testament, it says that you shall have the peace that passes all understanding through the knowledge of God through Christ Jesus. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And how shall the people hear unless a man come and preach? And how shall a man come and preach unless he is called? So I've sat here all night and all morning listening and called men of God whose lives have been surrendered to follow him, have come and brought his word. And as we sit here, our faith grows, our faith increases. We think their words or ideas into our heads or to our hearts, but it's faith that's growing, that you've learned something, and all of a sudden, your spiritual person inside just expanded a little bit. Now, we're talking about superheroes, and Jesus being the number one superhero. And I don't know if you've seen on the screens the cartoons that some of the kids in the youth group, uh, did they show those to you last night? They're, they had a little thing of Superman and there's one in there of one real superhero, and he's punching a bad guy, and then it zooms in on him. It's Pancho Juarez. They did a cartoon caricature of Pancho Juarez. And then they gave me, I think, the Superman outfit with a mustache. And um, our Superman is the Lord Jesus. He's Superman. He's great. I've never had a friend like him in the 40 years that I've known him. He never, ever shakes his finger he never grabs me and says, you don't change. He doesn't slap me. He doesn't take my hand out and hit me with a ruler because I've been naughty. He just looks at me and I shrivel up. <laughs> and I say, forgive me. And then the healing comes so quickly. And then he helps you walk in that area. The war has ended. So he wants to multiply to you the knowledge of God. So put this book in your hands and read it hours a day. And of Jesus our Lord and his divine power he wants you to know about. It has been given to us all things that pertain to life. It's all available. Anything that pertains to being a man and being alive, to being a father, a husband, a friend, a daddy, a student, if it pertains to life and godliness, God has given it to you. It's yours. Now you just need to accept it and start opening up your treasure chest and going through it and say, wow, look what heaven has given me. And now stand up. And that will make you stand out as men in New Mexico keep falling to the lie and they keep giving up their place as a man and letting their minds be controlled by some other influence and just falling away from responsibility and giving up hope when finances get short instead of calling out to God, I don't trust that paycheck or that Social Security, but I trust you. Obviously, not one person in this room has God let down because you have not died of starvation. He has taken care, and there's not one naked man in here. He has clothed you every day. He has provided for you, and maybe never once you have said thank you for providing. You're breathing, and maybe you forgot to say, thank you that I can breathe. I've been by the deathbed of many people that said, if I had not smoke that last cigarette or that last pack or if I had not started smoking when I was 13 I wouldn't be here in so much pain men make dumb decisions God makes great decisions for men and when we trust him he will make you super man 
to help other men and to help the boys and girls that have no clue what they're going towards right now. You have great responsibility and you'll answer to the Lord for what you have done with your time in every idle word that has come out of your lips, the Bible says. So while we are alive and breathing and we say we know God, He's given us an abundance of knowledge of everything pertaining to life and godliness. Then by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. Wow, great would have been fine, but the word exceedingly is there. Exceedingly would have been fine, but great is there. Exceedingly great and precious promises. That through these, these promises that are great and precious, you men may be partakers of the divine nature. You can take that nature of spirituality having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Things begin to corrupt. Corruption makes things die. And it all starts with lust. And when people lust after any physical thing, their marriage starts to corrupt a little bit. And since there's no forgiveness and the blood of Jesus Christ has not covered that sin, it keeps corrupting while man goes over here and works on this next project. And then because of lust, he goes over here. And it's all of a sudden a man's life has all these things that look pretty good. But when it's all over with, there's nothing. Look at Lot. Lot was a righteous man. But he was a compromiser. Did you know that? He was a judge. He sat at the gates of the city. That meant he was an elder in the city. And when it came to the end of his life, he tried to appease the homosexual men in the community. He tried to be friendly to everybody and to be politically correct. He didn't take a stand for righteousness, but he had all the accoutrements of a very successful businessman, an influential politician. And in judgment, he was able to learn the strengths and the weaknesses of the character of the men. And after 50 years or 40 years of the time that he was in that city, when God stepped into the city with his angels, he said, Lot, you're out of here. Uncle Abraham prayed. He talked to God. We were standing with the creator of the universe. He said, he has come down here to see if this is true, the stench, the horrible stench of the filth of sin has come to his nostrils and he's given us the authority to destroy this city. But he prayed for 50 and there weren't 50 righteous and he took it on down to 10 and God said, for 10 I'll spare that city. But there weren't 10 righteous. There's you, your wife, and your daughters. So get out right now. But when he got out, all those years of trying to placate the people of this world, he had nothing to show for it. There was nothing he could take. And when the men came to the house, and he said, please leave. These men are holy men. Get out of here. You don't want to mess with these guys. And they said, he is still trying to judge us. Which means that they had never accepted him. And there are people in your life that you're mingling with, but they do not accept you. They're only using you. And when he would judge, or he'd say, you know, this probably isn't right, and then power would come and say, no, you judge this way, or you leave our lifestyle alone. We're going to march in the streets. We're going to do it our way. That he buckled to that pressure instead of standing up like a man and said, my uncle walks with God. He has taught me about God. I believe God has sent me here, and I will not buckle under the pressure, and I will not stay quiet, and I will stand up for righteousness, because if I don't stand up for righteousness, I'll fall for everything. And that's where we are. If the Lord says, get out, 
what did you do all these years? What is the value of your life? Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? But he loses his soul. For what shall a man pay for his soul? Or what price is your soul? What is your soul worth? Nothing to you that you'll sit in darkness for eternity with the sounds of wailing and weeping, gnashing of teeth, never touch another human being, never be hugged, never have another holiday or birthday, but in the darkness you will live with yourself for eternity and you will have every member, memory so clear and in all those memories it'll be on a loop and it'll go on and you'll get bored with it, you'll go insane, you'll gnash your teeth, but you'll always remember that God allowed you to come to his throne and to see how beautiful he is and the kingdom that he had prepared for you that you with your own strong will denied and pushed away. That's hell. That's the hell of it. And there are men in New Mexico going there today. And if you don't speak out, who will? What are you doing with your life? God has given you everything you need to be a spiritual man. And so Peter goes on, the man that walked with Jesus, you've been given exceedingly and great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, but also for this very reason, for this very reason, giving all diligence, would you look at that? Give all diligence, men. I want you to add to your faith, number one, Add to your faith. So circle faith. Virtue. Number two. To virtue, add knowledge. Number three. You can circle it. To knowledge, add self-control. Self-control. Don't fly off the hammer. Don't just impulsively spend money. Self-control. Don't walk into that building. Don't look at that woman. Don't take that. Once you add self-control, then perseverance. Don't be a quitter. Don't say, I'm leaving this job because I could get another one for 10 cents an hour or more. I don't like this one. Then you leave that job. Don't have a reputation that you have no perseverance. You have no backbone. You have no strength. You can't stand up for other people. You can't help the weak or the poor because you are a waffler. Don't be like that. Be a man that has perseverance. Man, this hurts. This really hurts. But God, I'm going to trust you. And you trust God. For perseverance, you want to add, number six, godliness. Number seven, to godliness, add brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, number eight, add love. Now look at that. If you wrote those down or circled them, verse eight says, For if these things are yours, you possess them, you've got them in your life, and they abound. You're a kind man, you're a man under control, you persevere through everything, you are a godly man, you have faith, you have virtue, you have knowledge of God. If all these things are in your life and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things, and you could be a man like that, you lack these things, is short-sighted even to blindness. Oh, you think by reading the paper and answering the quizzes, you're really bright. But it's way beyond that. That's short-sighted. It's right here. I'm 19 years old. There's the world. When you get to be 24 years old, oh, it's a little bit bigger. When you get to be 44, oh, it's a lot bigger. When you get to be 104, whoa, that's a pretty big picture. I'm getting ready to die, and I'm looking back, and 
well, I didn't do too much with my life. If you don't have these things, you are a short-sighted man. But if you have these things, you're a long ways from blindness. And a short-sighted man to blindness has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Father, I pray for these men as they sit here. I can see that there's a spirit that's trying to distract and, and just to be boring and dull. And while you're trying to pour your love out and show us how to capture righteousness, please, in these next five or ten minutes, speak to the hearts of these men of these precious, exceedingly great promises you're giving us to be godly men. In Jesus' name, amen. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent. First he said be diligent. Now he's saying be an even more, even more. Well, more would have been good, but even more amplifies how diligent he's asking us to be. To make your call and your election sure. Who am I? What am I supposed to be doing? Peter said, Peter the bond slave. He knows what his life is about. What is your life about? Are you loving other people, helping other people, touching other people's and families' lives that need someone just to walk in, a complete stranger, and say, my family wants to help you. My sons are with me right now. We're going to fix that screen door that we notice is that broken window. We've got a buddy here that does window. He's going to fix your window. I know that you're a single mom and that your husband is in jail or you're divorced, but um, we're here as men in the community to help you because we know these things are difficult. There's a little old lady who's not getting too much air conditioning. It's 105 degrees out, and you know where she lives. You never stop by once to say, is there anything we can do to help you? She's got two sons that have died in the wars. She has a husband that was killed in Vietnam. You have no idea who she is, but you know she's there, and you're expecting that her $88 a month from Social Security is going to take care of everything for her. There was a salesman who came to a lady's house, and he is a fast talker. And he said, I've got this vacuum. This is a super vacuum. This vacuum is so powerful, it's about as powerful as a jet engine. It'll clean up anything, this house. The old lady said, I'm sorry, I'm on pension. I have no money to buy a vacuum cleaner. No, ma'am, I'm going to show you. This vacuum cleaner will answer every problem in your house. You can clean anything. And you can tune it to any power you want. And uh, she says, son, I just told you I have no money. I'm on a pension. I can't afford a vacuum cleaner. He said, man, that doesn't bother. We can take payments. And I'll tell you what, I've got a pickup truck out here full of manure. And I'm going to dump this manure in. I've got a couple men, and they're going to put it right here on your floor. And if this vacuum cleaner does not pick it up, then I'll eat it. And the guy starts coming towards her house with these big buckets. And said, son, you better get yourself a spoon because they shut my electricity off this morning. <laughs> There are a, little, a lot of little old men and little old ladies that would love to have three or four men to walk up to their house and knock and say, we want no money, we don't want to know your social security number, we don't want to come into your house, we just see that your lawn hasn't been mowed for a long time. Here's uh, Pancho Juarez, he's a gardener from Montebello, and he's going to help you, right? And Ray's going to be the supervisor. And Raul, we don't use a weed whacker. Uh, Raul Reese is here, and he's going to use Kung Fu and get all the grass just down to nothing. But sometimes we forget, like he says in verse 9, we forgot that we were cleansed from our old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, what he just asked, those eight things, put them into your life, you will never stumble. Could I see by a show of hands, have you ever stumbled ever in your life? 
you'll never stumble. You'll never stumble. This is going to protect you, especially in a world where there's a lot of stumbling blocks. Therefore, brethren, for so an entrance will be supplied to you, an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. An entrance, a straight gate, a narrow path, an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom. For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth, yes, I think it is right, and as long as I'm in this tent or this body, he's saying, uh, to stir you up. I think I have the right to stir you up as an old man. I've been there, I've done that, but I've seen tens if not hundred, hundreds of thousands of people in my time come and give their life to Jesus. And I've seen them go out and do fantastic works. We have a lady that was a nurse in San Diego, she went to the Horizon School of Evangelism a number of years. We were in Mexico. Our team was in a restaurant all sitting down, waiting to go out for that evening event and, uh, in the city. is Mazalan. And um, she was telling me that she was so depressed that she worked in the hospital with abortions. And this one hospital had just uh, aborted an eight-month uh, full-term baby. And uh, she said, it just, I, I, just, I think I'm going crazy. And I said, well, hold it. Why don't you do something about it? You've been a nurse for many years. What could I do? I'm just one person. Come on. You can do something about it. You're going to let those guys go in in late-term abortion, one of the first things our president signed back into order when he became the president of the United States of America. You can go ahead and kill full-term babies. I was with Jerry Falwell one day when a senator called when they were voting on that full-term abortion. And he said, uh, Senator, do you know um, what happens in a full-term abortion? Well, I've seen the charts down on the floor in the Senate. Well, I've talked to many doctors around the nation, and they tell me it's murder. I want to ask you a question before you hang up, and I pray that our friendship and communication will go on, but listen, do you know why they put, the doctor puts his hand over the mouth of the baby as it comes out, and then he puts the scalpel in the back of the neck of the brain there? No, why? It's so the mother won't hear the baby scream. Where have we come as a nation that we're murdering our own? Bears don't do that. Skunks don't even do that. Coyotes don't do that. Lions and tigers don't do that. Bullfrogs don't do that. But we do that. You don't think that God is going to allow judgment to come? If we had the 53 million babies that we have aborted in this country they would all be growing pretty much by now and in the college system and working and there would be enough money in the Social Security to pay the people that have just retired and they're turning at the rate of at 60 years old a day at 10,000 people a day since January 1st, 2009. What's going to happen to all of us old dudes? Who's going to want to ride our Harleys and buy them from us? <laughs> You're investing in the wrong place. Invest into the kingdom of God and let eternal dividends come to your children and your children's children. So he says, I'm ready to die. I'm going to leave this tent. Jesus has told me. He said, I will be put off my tent just as our Lord Jesus showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after I die. Now I've got 16, now I've got 18 grandchildren, six children and two great-grandsons. 
these two little guys that are the great-grandsons, they're going to be football players, I can tell. They, uh, they are up and walking. They're three and a year and a half. And they just, I took them to the beach and boom, they're down over here. And boom, they're out in the water. I mean, they're just biceps and abs. And, you know, I got a half of an ab left. And they've got these ripples and they're just strong little guys. And I hold them and I realize, you're my great-grandsons. And I whisper in their ears, there's a God who created you. He has a son who died for you. You'll never die. And I hope those seeds will be planted deeply in their hearts. And after I die, that those great-grandsons will rise up and they'll come to Belene. They'll preach the gospel if we're still here. And that my son's sons would be blessed is what the promise is from God to Abraham. To those that curse Israel, the nation, and you and your people, I will curse them, but those who bless you, I will bless them. And if you could stop right now, and we're winding this up, if you could stop right now and think, oh, hold it. If I die in 40 years, you're 40 years old. Or if I die in five years or 10 years. Peter said he wanted to be very careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. What would you leave behind for your children and their children concerning God? Would they ever know that you are a godly man? Isn't that a shame that some of them may never know up until this point? <laughs> be a godly man. Stand up. Don't be an arrogant, proud, religious, right-wing conservative. Be a Democrat. Be any crat you want. But be a Christian man. Be a godly man. Because it's all at your disposal. And before I die, this godly man that was a rabble-rouser said, I want to make sure that you understand before my decease that I'm stirring you up, poking you a little bit. I want you to go back to the promises of God. Fall before His throne and let the power of God fill you. Go and ask your children forgiveness. Ask your ex-wives if you've got several. Forgiveness. Go to those people that you stiffed and didn't pay and say, I ask your forgiveness. And let them turn to you and say, why are you doing this? And then tell them, that you were a weak man without God in your life and without His Word and you have given your life to know Him and you realize that you were wrong and you just ask Him forgiveness. You'll be amazed at the responses. You'll be amazed at the feeling, I'm forgiven for everything. Yep, you are. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. That's a man. And he didn't say, if it was me on the cross, I'd turn to my Heavenly Father and say, nuke them, they're jerks. He said, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. It's understandable that we don't always know what we're doing. But God will forgive. So as you bow your hearts right now, would you just listen to his small, still voice that you'll take heed and let the light shine in the dark places until the day dawns morning star rises in your heart and you call out to him right now just call out to God and realize that you need him desperately use the superlatives in your prayer that Peter used in writing great and exceedingly the powerful just even more diligent use those words I need even more of you Lord I need great and exceedingly precious promises planted in my heart this morning. 
And oh God, may your Holy Spirit bring a revival that we will hear throughout the country the great things that are happening in the southwest of America. Bless these men. Bless them. Bless them. Bless them. Bless them. Bless their children. Bless their children, Lord. Bless their children. Love their children openly. Bless their wives and their mothers and fathers. Bless their families. Help these families be healed. Let them all stand looking into your face. And may their lives be finished and written down in the books in heaven that they finished with a lot of fruit and a lot of people were reminded of the things of God in Jesus' name. Amen. It's been an honor to speak with you and to be with you. And I do pray for you. Thank you. Thank you.